0: Hi and welcome to our second episode of Do You Know What? My name is Rebecca Singerman-Knight and I'm delighted to welcome you and I'm delighted to welcome my co-hosts Leo Mindell and Charlie Beginsky who will quickly introduce themselves. Leo, over to you.
1: So I get to go before Charlie, that has got to be first. So I'd like to just note that I've actually been able to talk before Charlie has said anything on the microphone. Don't get used to
0: it, don't get used to it, I'm humouring you.
1: There you go, my name is Leo Mindell, I'm a member of uh, Northwood and Pinner Liberal Synagogue and involved in the uh, world of the internet.
2: I'm Rabbi Charlie Beginski, and I'm currently the Interim Director of Liberal Judaism. And wondering how you would have got on with some of my colleagues, Rebecca, if you'd have missed off the rabbi of their title. Luckily, I'm not one of those who is really that worried about it at all. And quite funny, actually, that in this context, that it is about the three of us being... Um, not in our in our day jobs, actually. So it was quite nice. And I think I'm... I think I've just been told in a very passive aggressive way. <laughs> uh, no, I w- really, really wasn't. I was just. It, it's a big conversation amongst rabbis. Is about is about titles and about whether or not it's important. And it just highlighted that for me. In fact, when I was the rabbi in Kingston. And I'm just about to show Rebecca something on screen, which you won't be able to see at home. But this was my sign on my door, which said, Charlie's
1: study. study.
2: It actually didn't say Rabbi Charlie's. I always said, I know that I'm a rabbi. I don't need somebody to remind me all the time. But actually, it's an interesting conversation.
0: It's a
1: really interesting conversation um, for myself. I do feel I should
2: publicly apologise,
0: though.
1: (laughs) Well, for myself, always grown up in um, reform and now in liberal, I never, ever referred to a rabbi, the pronoun of rabbi and then their first name or the pronoun of the rabbi and their surname. But being involved in the uh, United and Orthodox side, it's much more prevalent. And and it to the point that actually, as you've said, Charlie, there's quite a few where you forget it and you're on a call and you, you don't say it and they get quite unhappy
2: It's been a very specific discussion amongst women clergy, I think, Mm -hmm. as well, because it was often women who were referred to as Rabbi Charlie rather than Rabbi Beginski, and also that there was a sense of that that title was needed in order to be able to be a platform for some sort of authority and some sort of respect in a way that perhaps men in the past had not needed it, or assuming that actually you could call them Rabbi Charlie rather than Rabbi Beginski, because there was a certain informality that wouldn't have been allowed with a male colleague. And so I think in that title and the way that it's used, there is a whole set of history. And interestingly today, I think, well I would like to talk a little bit about gender roles and some of the things that have been in our in the news which in some ways are are so tied up with our opening words.
1: I think you're right I mean the whole idea and the whole concept of pronouns and rabbi being a pronoun that actually hasn't got a gender and we have all of these ones and you know bringing it back to last week when we were talking about Uh, Rabbi Lord Sachs, which Mm. I believe is the right term to have it in that right Mm. order. Uh, My own emeritus rabbi, which I believe in the right order, is Rabbi Dr. Andrew Goldstein. It does make a mouthful of these things, but there is an order and a form of these things. The, The pronoun is gender neutral, which is great. And it's very rare to have a gender-neutral pronoun in this world.
2: I mean, there used to be so many times when I wouldn't actually have been able, for one reason or another, to speak to the whole breadth of a family who were coming to a funeral. And they would have just been told, oh, the funeral's being taken by Rabbi Charlie Beginski. And... For you two who know me and other people out there who know me, I'm not necessarily your first assumption of what um, the rabbi of the community or the or even the interim director of liberal Judaism looks like. And so therefore you would often need things like title or at funerals, things like a gown in order to distinguish yourself as a. Um, as the person in charge, as that authority figure. And for me, there have actually been other ways that um, I've carried myself and not used the gown and not used the title in that way. But I really understand why for some people it's really important and has been something that they've earned and therefore they need that recognition, same as a doctor would, that you wouldn't go into the surgery necessarily and address your doctor by their first name without showing them the respect of thinking about the title that they've earned. But this week, I've been thinking particularly about Pretty Patel and the news stories over um, and wondering whether there's a, there is a gender question there or whether this is just somebody who is in authority, who has been bullying, whether we take her, her understanding that it was unintentional or not. I have been thinking about the gender case and whether we often have this discussion about in one case out of the mouth of a man would it be considered to be assertive whereas out of the mouth of a woman be considered to being bitchy or aggressive.
1: I think you're absolutely right there. I mean there is things that men in particular now cannot get away with which they got away with in the past which doesn't forgive those moods but they they did. And now there seems to be a role reversal which is just can be just as toxic um and that people are allowed to get away with things which um they they weren't getting away with in the past
0: i think the issue with Pretty patel is a really interesting one and i do have a level of discomfort when i hear the allegations because i think to what extent is this people not, just not appreciating having a strong woman around I think it's clear that she's definitely behaved inappropriately. I mean, if, if she has been swearing and shouting in the workplace, that is clearly inappropriate. But it's also not uncommon. I mean, I, I, I worked in various professional organisations, both public and private sector, for over 20 years. And I've come across people who are genuinely bullies. And I've course come across people who lose their rag from time to time and behave in a way that they shouldn't do, but I wouldn't actually classify that as being bullying. Now, we'll, we're never going to know. We're never going to know what the situation actually is in this particular instance, but I think yeah. the words like bullying, like a lot of words, can be can be overused... Um, and they can therefore diminish what is real bullying in some cases. I have no idea whether or not that is the case in this issue. I do not know. But just swearing in a workplace, whilst being inappropriate, does not necessarily equal bullying. I think bullying is something that is deliberate um, and is actually designed to cause harm and belittle somebody. Um, and anyone who's ever lost their rag and... You know, said the wrong thing in the heat of the moment doesn't necessarily deliberately try to bully somebody. Who knows? It's interesting. It's very
2: difficult, though, Rebecca, because if we and I, I don't want us to, to make too dramatic a link with the anti-Semitism discussion, but one of the conversations that was had a lot around anti-Semitism was this line that if somebody who's Jewish says it's anti-Semitic. It's anti-Semitic. Don't try and tell them that this is not anti-Semitic. And I wonder whether it's particularly, I'm thinking in this Shabbat has been Shabbat where we've been marking Jewish women's aid. And one of the lines that I've been saying a lot as part of liberal Judaism's support of this campaign has been, let's make sure that women are believed, that women and girls are believed. And I do think in this case of bullying that it's that regardless what we have to say is if somebody says that they are being bullied and they feel harassed, that we have to start from a point of, of believing, believing them. Mm-hmm. And this report has come back and said that she was found guilty of bullying. And therefore, I think we have to start definitely from a place of believing those who said, even if there are some gender issues here, which I do think are worth us exploring.
1: Mm. I think the um, interesting thing I find and drawing a parallel, I very recently finished watching Veep, um, which took me a a long time. It's been on the box set to be watching. I don't know if either of you two have watched Veep. Not yet. Uh, but believe me, when you were talking about swearing in the workplace, it's very well written um, and it has a lot of warnings in front of it when you watch it. I wonder, though, if Veep, even though it's not that old, it won't look good in 10 years' time.
0: It's like Friends. You know, some some people today don't appreciate Friends because there is comedy and jokes there that people today don't necessarily think are okay anymore things have moved so quickly actually things have moved in terms of acceptability and what isn't acceptable things have moved very very quickly in a very short period of time
1: but i wonder if what that is all about is that classic thing that we are in a circle and that we go left 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 Mm -hmm. left 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 and we eventually go right and we're in that circle at the moment that we're going very very for another word woke in certain areas but we will actually address. One of the interesting things, I was watching the uh, Jewish Student Union's hustings where they are on, their elections are coming up. And the very interesting thing that I noticed is that the majority of the people who are looking to be elected have put their pronouns on their titles in Zoom. And that seems, although I kept on seeing it myself and it jars with me, I'm now seeing it more and more and more often. And I guess the one question we have to ask, which is key to all of this, really, that brings us all around, is when they full name you, um, Charlie, what do you get full named? Is it Charlie or is it something else? Come on, tell us.
2: So I always get Charlie um, because other than my father, nobody really calls me anything else. But um, certainly what is... I find it very strange is that my closest friends, my oldest friends, still call me Charlotte.
0: I, can't, um, I do not see you as a Charlotte in any anyway. I don't see
2: myself. But when I had my smicha, my ordination certificate, I could not bring myself for my dad to write uh, sh- to write Charlie. So I have Charlotte brackets Charlie, which is really shows that you still, at the right... house so I was just before 30 when I was ordained, that you still do things for your parents. Because when I was born... So not only this Christmas baby born on first day of Hanukkah, you know, to Jewish parents, that my um, dad looked over at the cot opposite uh, me where these parents had named their daughter Charlie and looked at my mum and said, you know, Mary, our daughter, who would call their daughter Charlie? And so... (laughs) for years and years but right, people would phone up the house and say can I speak to Charlie my dad would be like there's no Charlie here and put the phone
1: down I knew that I just knew you just knew there was a story behind this didn't you Rebecca you could tell <laughs>
2: hashtag daddy but you know, issues Charlie yes well if you've seen my partner <laughs> um, yeah. that's a whole other episode <laughs> <laughs> So I'm really really pleased that into this kind of crazy conversation we are welcoming our very first guest of this series. and it's somebody who usually is on the, I'm on the other end of his questions too. Um, and that's uh, Nick Coffer, who is from BBC Radio. We've encountered each other on three counties, but also managed in between to have long chats about our family lives, religious upbringings, living in Hertfordshire, all of those things. So Nick, thank you so much for being with us. And really going with the flow and seeing what happens and uh, as you may have just heard we've been chatting lots of stuff around um, Pretty Patel and the news I think I guess in your office virtual studio there must have been quite a lot of talk about Pretty Patel this week uh,
3: yes, there has been quite a lot of talk about Pretty Patel uh, this week. I think there's there's a lot of talk, full stop, about about where we're at. It's it's such a confusing time in in so many ways, and it's actually quite hard to to keep track of the agenda. It's quite hard to, to to get a sense of who's who and where's where and and what's what because we're we're running you know towards Brexit concurrently with trying to resolve a pandemic concurrently with government running itself concurrently with the issues in the Labour Party that I'm sure you will have touched upon um it 's quite a tricky time to keep up with politics oh, we were exhausting. saying that it
2: 's quite a tricky time to keep up with life and where the cycles are at, and generally, not just politically but what's politically correct, what's not, how things are changing, how identities
3: are changing. You see, I, I've got this slightly naive view that, that this whole year would have been a chance just to reset everything and uh, and, and head towards some kind of sort of hippie political agenda. Um, and by, by that I mean not literally hippie, but I, I think it would have been nice to have a, a more collaborative year in many in many ways because we've been struggling on, on so many fronts, and, and this isn't even a political point, it's just a, an observation as to where we're at, that it almost feels like politics could and should have taken a, a back seat and, and um, you know we, we could have come together in so many ways but maybe we were already heavily fractured uh, as we'd come out of um, uh, Brexit and the Brexit negotiations and, and heading into this year. I think we were already heavily fractured so maybe that was a futile hope.
0: And don't you think that it has just continued to be divisive with the with the pandemic? You know, you have your lockdown skeptics and you have your lockdown fanatics and it's almost like the remainers and leavers all over again.
3: I mean it's no, I, quite I, it's quite isn't... depressing. It is depressing. It's interesting to say that, though, Rebecca, because I I don't know anyone who's who's fanatical about lockdown, um, and 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 I think I think that term has has been used to counter the lockdown sceptic yeah. um, uh, faction. And do you know what it is? As with all these things, and and I'll include Brexit in this as well. Um, fundamentally, you've got. of the country on one extreme end. You've got 20% of the country on the other extreme end and probably 60% who's floating right, left or middle of of a fairly narrow um, corridor. So you know you look at brexit, there were plenty of remainers who were fairly relaxed about about uh, brexit you've got plenty of brexiteers who would have been just as relaxed about about remaining um, and it feels the same with the pandemic because fundamentally most people understand that it 's a serious thing and that we have to do something so we're all mostly sitting in in that in that middle corridor but what you hear the most of are the um are the lockdown skeptics and those who perhaps you know do do forcibly try to uh, uh, try Use a, use a different phrase to, to down fanatics but i think most of us actually just sit somewhere in the middle that we understand that you know there, there, there is a problem and that we do have to do something
1: so just so that our um people who are listening understand nick you, uh charlie mentioned earlier that you work for the bbc without divulging all the secrets of the universe can you just explain what you're doing there and then how this how the whole of this world affects you
3: Well, what I'm doing at the moment is is I'm doing the Sunday Breakfast Show, which is a a faith-based show. Formerly, I had six uh, six shows a week, um, as happened across local radio. I lost my um, lunchtime show because the the schedules were shrunk across all local radio stations. Initially, as part of the pandemic, uh, to create some resilience, but then it became permanent due to to cost-cutting. So the pandemic has actually dramatically affected people like myself um, within the BBC, see in the same way as it's affected someone working in a bar or or, or someone um, you know working in a in a restaurant Um, on on a daily basis it's meant that most of us are now working from home uh, unless we're broadcast critical so less we're physically needed in a studio and even then some shows are, are operating from home um, so it's been a, a very very strange year on on any number of levels
1: so you said earlier that you know you don't think there's anybody who's a pandemic fanatic but in your own environment do you think the pandemic uh, from a work perspective and your life perspective has had some positives.
3: It's interesting you say that because just briefly putting on my Sunday breakfast hat, I've had a number of religious leaders who've used the phrase or, or a variation of we've had a good COVID. Um, and, and they always counter it with the caveat. We, we, we don't mean the, the, the dead pit. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not talking because clearly there's a, a massive, massive human tragedy here. Yeah, But when they say they've had a good COVID, um, looking at the religious organisations, they've had um, people come back to them. They've found creative ways of connecting with their congregation. They've found ways, you know, if you think of, of our, our big great churches, which can be quite intimidating to, to walk through the front door of, um, they've found ways of engaging people via Facebook or YouTube or whatever it may be. I know, Charlie, you've, you've done the same at Liberal Judaism. Um, and I think that for many of them, they feel they've had a good COVID because they've been able to re-establish themselves as the heart of the community so that doesn't necessarily mean in terms of of, of services but you know they've, they've, they've driven food banks or they've driven um neighborly delivery um uh, drops they, they, they've been at the heart of a community effort and speaking as someone who is uh, as you are, know, Charlie, um, uh, Jewish by Roots, but Atheist by, by Nature. Um, this sits really well with me because it it, it draws on the good parts of religion, um, the, the parts of religion that pull us together, um, without necessarily having to deal with some of the other stuff that I'm, to use the uh, in-word sceptical about, to say the least.
1: So I know this isn't quite an interview, Nick, but you say you're Jewish by Roots. Could you want to just, for myself and Rebecca, uh, give us a little bit of an insight on that?
3: Well, yeah, absolutely foisted upon me by my mother. No, that's not true. So so my...
1: <laughs> so my um, Mummy I'm, issues. I'm I, I,
3: no, no, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish and uh, I was brought up in the United Synagogue and I was probably, relatively speaking, a believer um, up until, um, I like think it was last Tuesday, no, up, until, up until my... <laughs> until up until half my an hour ago when you yeah, got exactly, on the podcast. the like, best. I met you all, yeah. Uh, no, I would say probably till my mid-teens and uh, that was when I started, to ask myself some serious questions and I and I think that my my general uh, mental well-being improved once I didn't feel that my destiny was going to be based on the decision of uh, an elusive all-powerful being who I didn't know uh, whether it was a he or a she or where they were and uh, and and that's where I I think it's once I started to to critically think about Judaism. But equally I find it fascinating because you know recently I was I was chatting to the Bishop of Hartford, who is an epidemiologist. I and mean, this chap is a very, very clever scientist. And and you know, Charlie, you you've you've been to a, a moderately good university of some repute. You know, and and, and so I, I I I find it fascinating equally that people who are really forensic and really um, intelligent still maintain their faith so I'm not saying it's just because I started to develop critical thinking that it meant I became an atheist I know plenty of people who've who've then you know really stress tested their religion in a forensic almost scientific way and have come out Positively the other side um, Jewish roots um, you know I always remember at my grandma 's funeral um, the rabbi read a, a an article or a blog post i'd written where I was talking about my my lack of belief, but also talking about my grandma 's yiddish kite and and that was the theme of of his uh, of his sermon because he was saying that, that what really connected my family was um, not Judaism but yiddish you kite know, Jewishness, um, and I think the irrefutable truth, and it was my granddad who always said this, is that no matter what you believe, if one day everything falls apart and they come looking for the Jews again, they'll come looking for me as much as they'll come looking for you. And that's where the roots come into it.
2: And Leo, you always joke that I start to get rabbinic on these things, but... I I think there is something about terminology, which is a misunderstanding of what it means to be religious. So we always talk about people being religious or not religious, as though, and particularly we do this as Liberal Jews, Fanatics
3: or sceptics.
2: Fanatics (laughs) or sceptics, right? And actually, I count myself, I mean, maybe I would being a rabbi, but I count myself as religious. I'm definitely not religious in the sense of the way that other people might understand what the term religious means. And so I think it's also about reclaiming that word. I want us to talk about mm. being religious, but not letting somebody else define what that,
3: what that means for us. Do, do you know where, where I find it really interesting is that, um, for me, it's about finding the points of common, of commonality. So I remember um, some years ago I was at a bar mitzvah at the Belside Square Synagogue, and I'm actually just as we speak looking it up on Wikipedia to find out what the name of the rabbi was, he's no longer there. Rodney Mariner. Rodney, that's exactly who it was. It was it was Rabbi, Rabbi Mariner. So, Rebecca, yeah. Rabbi Rodney Mariner. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although although, although I, mean, I did have a quite an extensive email conversation with him, and he kept signing it Rodney, so, so it was oh, Rodney Mariner. Uh. <laughs> and and he, at this bar mitzvah, he did a whole um, sermon about atheism, and he basically said, "Look, uh, Richard Dawkins views atheism on a scale of one to seven, and uh, even Dawkins, the arch atheist, says that he couldn't be more than a six. Um, at a push. He can't be an absolute seven. No one can be. And he said, to be perfectly honest with you, I'd be lying if I said I was a one because that's impossible. So if we assume that I'm a two and a three, two slash three, and Richard Dawkins is a five slash six, suddenly there's not a very big gap between us. Uh, And I thought that was a really interesting approach because for me, religion is about finding the points of commonality rather than the points of difference. And, you know, there are some some wonderful ethics, some wonderful teachings that form part of religion. I just don't happen to believe in an all-powerful God. But actually, there are way more things that join us than don't.
0: Do you think there's something... Um, unique about Judaism in the sense that you can be very, you can identify very much as being Jewish, but also be an atheist, whereas possibly you can't do that so much in other religions. So David Bedil being a classic example of somebody, you know, his Twitter bio is Jew you know he's he's jewish from head to toe but he's also a very very avid atheist. You see, and it's that very much kind of whether you'd call it a cultural jew mm. or whatever you might call it. Do you think that is unique to
3: Judaism? I do, but I don't think it's for the reasons that you think. Okay. So so um I think it is unique to Judaism but not because of Judaism. I think it's unique to Judaism because of the history uh, and the recent history and by that I mean the last 1500 years of what's mm-hmm. happened to Jews. So I think right. I think I think by definition Jews have had a lot of reason to question God, um, that generation that came out. You know, my parents were born. And my dad was born three months after the end of World War Two. So my grandparents were hugely optimistic to, to be falling pregnant. You know, during the end of World War Two. Uh, um, but that whole generation, frankly, I I I I struggled to understand anyone that came out of that generation believing in God when they'd seen the ravages that, that had happened during World War Two. So yes, I think it is particular to Judaism, but I think it's because. We've had reason to really question, you know, if, 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 if Jews are the chosen people and if God is all powerful, why we've had so much stuff to deal with over the years.
2: I want to disagree with you about one thing, which is that right. it's about commonality. <laughs> I actually think it's about the fact that we live with difference and that with Judaism, that's considered. And I think we need to get back to that as a community, actually, is about being okay with three Jews, four opinions. Mm -hmm. And that even in the Talmud, we we note the opinion that doesn't win, you know, that we're strong enough to be able to say there's dissenting opinions. And that in that dissent between being different and having lots of different ways of seeing things, we find creativity, and we are able to sit with that difference. And I think the problems come when we look too much to have one voice, and it brings us back to leadership, which is about when we see with leadership, when it has to be one voice, one way, this way, that we end up with huge amounts of fragmentation.
3: Schisms, yeah. However, in my family, you know particularly when back in the day when we could gather as a large family, when the grandparents were alive, um, yes, there were loads and loads of opinions, but it was basically just lots of people shouting to prove that they were right so we, we never we never quite we never quite reached that point of accepting um, a diversity <laughs> of opinion it was i 'm not arguing with you i 'm just explaining to you why
1: you're, you're right. wrong
3: <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> i think that leads us nicely into where we are at the moment nick our last episode we ended up talking about the uh, fun and games which are happening in the other side of the pond and how at the moment that game has still not played out and it's like there are people who are absolutely adamant not listening to another opinion and i think what as charlie was just saying the the ability for jews to sort of go i have an opinion and you have an opinion and we continue talking and carrying on even if we have differing opinions is something which i find at the moment in certain parts of society very very difficult to deal with in your world of what you're uh, where you are on the radio do you see that happening in some of the conversations you have there
3: to what degree that that it's very hard to to have a a diverse opinion and, and, and be respected for it
1: yes and And actually, to listen to an, another yeah. other, other opinion and say, "I respect that, I think that's the word that's missing
3: yeah I, I, respect is is certainly missing I think the problem is a wider one, which is that back in the day, there were opinion makers, and unfortunately now, there are six billion opinion makers on on social media and and so so what actually happens is it becomes an echo chamber where everyone's trying to shout the loudest and at times be the most controversial um, or, or the most opinionated. And I think what we have actually forgotten are um, just re- and Charlie will back me up on this. I'm, I'm horrifically old-fashioned for someone who considers himself extra- extraordinarily cool, uh, but I'm 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 horrifically I'm joking I'm horrifically old-fashioned, and it's just those old notions of listening, taking on board, and then responding. And and there's no doubt that that that, that has been lost in the Twitter, Insta, TikTok, the one the young people are using um, generation exactly, um, and and that's been lost because we've become very very split so you look at any Facebook post and it's either yes or it's no because social media doesn't g- give you the frameworks just say maybe we've become very tribal as very well tribal. we've become very very tribal. very
2: tribal and I think that's partly because we've lost sense of identity in other places and so that that I think we have a tribal natural tribal need in us and it's been unfortunately This is the path it's taken us
3: down. I think that it's, it's. Almost like we've been disempowered in so many ways um, because of stuff that's happened, because of where society's at. People losing their jobs, um, people mm-hmm. losing their sense of a role. That actually, what has happened is that the only place that people are finding power is in, in an extreme opinion and and taking a, an extreme stance. Listen, I'm no I'm no political philosopher, but I do believe that that is somewhere to the root of of what is happening on a global level, where 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 politics is is really splitting down. Down these two extremes because it's it's kind of all a lot of people have got left is, but to, it's is all to... that
2: leaders are projecting. We need a different. I don't want to get political here either, but we we almost reached there in last week's podcast, which is we need a new type of leadership that allows for a multitude of perspectives. That will, I think, filter down. It's
3: interesting to that because, as clearly, as someone who is employed as staff by the BBC, I cannot hint at a political opinion. However, as a human. I can, for example, say that it's been very interesting to watch New Zealand and the way that they've handled the pandemic. Um, Insofar as, uh, says he, choosing his words very carefully, they have an extremely inclusive prime minister, uh, very down to earth. Uh, There was that wonderful video, sad video, but that she did right at the start of the pandemic. She just put a toddler to bed and she was in a grubby hoodie and she was doing a Facebook Live. And and there was something very, very of the people. And I actually know um, quite a few uh, new zealanders none of them can pronounce my name properly all of them call me neck um but but what's interesting is i, I know new zealanders from both sides of the divide uh, i mean new Zealand's hardly a massively divided country you know they, they're centrist pretty well right and left but but what's really interesting is the respect she's held in um individually as a person. And maybe that's what we're lacking without making this a political point but people who are actually uh, people who can carry the whole population with them. It's almost like it's almost like the um you know I I have I have my own personal views one way or the other about the monarchy but it's almost like that 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 monarch figure that actually just carries a certain amount of respect and and i think that's part of the problem it's not it's not necessarily a question of Politics per se. It's a question of of how we're presenting it and how inclusive we're we're, we're trying to be, and, and to, to talk to as many people as possible.
2: If I ask you the difficult question, then there, because you raise New Zealand, and we began this conversation around Pretty Patel. Where's the gender issue in this? Is there a gender issue? Is is she able to lead like that? Is she able to say, "I'm putting my toddler to bed" because she's a woman? Is Pretty Patel being held up to a different standard because she's a woman? Or have we moved past those? Uh,
3: the answer to that is, of course, yes, we have and no, we haven't. But I, I'm a firm believer in taking people as I find them. And I know some pretty unpleasant women and I know some amazing women and I know some extraordinarily... Sensitive and feminine men, and some pretty macho um, uh, patriarchal men as well. And you know, there's a couple, there's a couple who spring to mind on on both sides of the fence. And I do have to be very, very careful here. Um, but there's um, when I hear Lisa Nandy talk. She sounds like a very compassionate, um, very balanced politician. And there's an MP, a Tory MP, Hugh Merriman. And there was this fascinating interview on on Five Live that he did. I've heard him interviewed more than once. And there was a moment where Nikki Campbell said, you do realise you're a member of the Conservative Party because what Hugh Merriman does is he talks about his constituents and he talks about his public service. Um, And and for me, when you look at – I've I've deliberately taken – somebody from either side there. These are these are two politicians who to me seem to have that sense of, well, I'm talking to my whole constituency here. Um and it's when we take away that tribality that I I warm back to politics, you know, and, and that's where Jacinta Hearn comes into it. I I I take people as I find them I know I know a number of local councillors who are not my side of the political fence but who I have huge respect for huge respect for it's interesting
0: what um, Nikki said to to Hugh you know you're a conservative you know, why shouldn't a conservative also be um compassionate yeah. <laughs> like
2: that you know
0: exactly right I mean because like you say it's the person it's not the
3: party but to be fair um Nikki Campbell's point was more because he was going against basically government policy in, in what he was saying. So he was reminding him of his of, of, of his duties. But it does come back to what I think I said three or four hours ago when we started this, which was <laughs> that, um, which was that, there a lot of wine consumed in the meantime there, no, um, which was that I do really believe that fundamentally most of the world operates in a fairly narrow middle spectrum. Um, there are plenty of members of the Conservative Party who would quite happily sit to the centre-left in the Labour Party, and there are plenty see, of relatively Tory Labour Party members as well. And, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm idealistic, but I still believe that that's where the bulk... you know, That's where David Cameron had his electorship, that's where Tony Blair had his electorship, and, and, and yeah. I still believe fundamentally that that's where most people...
1: Sit. I think that brings me around to what I'm thinking about where we're going. Uh, This has been, as we all know, uh, an interesting year. Do you think, from your perspective, Nick, this is going to be one of those years that in 50 years' time they're going to be looking back in the history books? This well, period
3: l- luckily for you leo um you don't have to get that answer from me you can get it from my six-year-old who halfway through the pandemic said the fun thing about the pandemic is they're going to be teaching about it in 100 years time gosh um, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought gosh as well um, i hope you put that on twitter uh, no i, I, I <laughs> didn't actually in that kind actually. of self-satisfied <laughs> he, way yes, that people goes, whoop, my whoop yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it. and he, he he got it and and i, I the, without a shadow of a doubt we will look back on this whether whether we'll be able to go full Bruce Springsteen and look back on this and it'll all seem funny is an entirely an entirely moot point. Because ultimately, people's families have been shattered. People's lives have been shattered. I think aside from the tragedy, what will definitely change, at least I, I hope will definitely change. You know, I remember back in the day, by that I mean six months ago. Hating being on a packed train. What I wouldn't give today to be on a packed train going somewhere. You know, I, I, I remember um, getting frustrated going to Emirates, going to Arsenal because I'm, st- I'm stood in a queue. What I wouldn't give to be stood in a queue at the moment and, and, and be going to a football match. And I think that mm-hmm. I think with regard to those things, yeah, Sensors and Spurs fans in the area but 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 with regard to those things I think I just think we won't take them for granted again we won't take yes, communal absolutely. worship for granted again um and I hope I hope again it's the idealist in me but I hope that that during this period we will have learnt just to to enjoy the smaller pleasures and that actually we will come out of it somehow a little bit less grandiose
1: but you say that Nick um that we won't take the small pleasures um At the beginning of this pandemic, you know, it was clap for heroes and all those sort of things that we were doing at the beginning. That's gone. It didn't take very long for these sort of things to disappear. We move on. And I think you could argue, and I know this is where Charlie will come in, about the healing process of bereavement and everything and moving, how, as a human race, we move on from these things very, very fast.
3: Yeah, but but, but equally, not everyone is nice. And it it doesn't matter if you're in a pandemic. You're still going to get people... Who are fundamentally selfish and 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 only care for themselves, but I do think that um, so many things will have changed forever. There was a quote recently on my on my radio show. I was talking to a chap who runs a number of schools, part of a, a Christian academy, really. Really good uh, guest, interesting guy, and um, and I said he was talking about how things have changed at school, and I said, you know, do do you hope to be able to go back to what we were? And and I was convinced that I was feeding him a question where he was going to say, well, yeah, wouldn't it be? And he said, not at all, not Mm. at all. Uh, We've learned so much in the last six or seven months about different ways of doing things that I absolutely hate to go back to where we were. And I I think if if there's a little bit more of that attitude, you know. I think we have irreparably and and irrevocably changed. And even those who don't want to come along and change with us, I I don't think they'll have any choice.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I think if you look at how uh, some of these times change us, uh, we need big shocks like this sometimes to actually jump out of our skins and say this is not a good way of doing things. and This is exactly what's going to happen. And I'd love to see long term that some of the things which have come about – stay in my own industry which is involved in the sports industry we are very you know a lot of the people that that would travel and just jump on an airplane really really fast are not going to do it and actually when you ask them are you going to do it again afterwards they're feeling like they won't
3: i I think also a number of companies have realized that they were wasting money I was mm-hmm. I was talking recently to um I had a problem with my water uh, the the stuff that you get from outside not 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 that you go to a GP <laughs> not the internal for water no. works. and and I phoned Affinity and I and I got through to this uh, this very nice woman whose name was Laura and and I I could hear a child in the background I said you're at home aren't you mm-hmm. and she said yeah, yeah yeah and and we got chatting uh, I liked to get chatting because it helped resolve my issue um and and give me a discount but no so 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 I said, I said, how's it been for you guys? She said it was really interesting. When we, when we all got sent home in March, um, management were basically terrified that any of us would work. And she said we have two barometers that uh, qualify how we're working. One is our productivity, and of course, in a call centre. That's very easy to monitor. It's all computerised, and you know you look at how many calls you take and how how many you resolve. And she said our productivity, and I can't really that figures, but have basically gone up from like seventy six to ninety two percent. You know, she says gone through the roof. And the other the other problem they have, you know, when you get those really annoying texts that say, based on your experience of your call here, how likely are you to recommend us out of ten? And there's the, a the, 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 the metric. She called it the something metric. She said. I'm not exaggerating. They have gone through the roof. You know, literally. She said, "We have, we have never had higher satisfaction ratings." Um, so obviously, if you're a company like Affinity Water, you're looking at it thinking, "Do I need a call centre with 200 people in it and all the buildings and all of in of that, those yeah, costs?" and all of those costs. Or should I send my people home with a laptop? She said, "The best thing for me. I remember this line. She, said, the best thing for me is that I finish work at 4:30, which means I." finish work at 4:30 and and it made so much sense the way she said it but of course there is a flip side to that which is the you know the mental health impact i i have not enjoyed being at home i'm a, a social sociable person so it, it's not a panacea to send everyone home but you're right leo that the notion of of sending you know businesses a, Cross Atlantic, around the world for meetings. That let's be honest, we've all become, you know, Zoom slash FaceTime slash Charlie. I know you're more of a house party kind of girl, um, <laughs> fanatics. Um, you know, it, it's 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 just it's just become the norm, and I don't see how we're going to return to to, to what we were before.
2: I think it's muscle memory, Nick. Actually, I think it's the difference. I think Leah's right. We we generally have very short memories if we look at yeah. history. Memory is very short, but what isn't short is our muscle memory and actually our action has uh changed so substantially that even if our heads haven't shift- shifted yet our bodies have shifted and our whole way of being has shifted and there it isn't that it's completely good or completely bad we have changed well you only we have, have to look changed. at
3: you know i sit watching a film with my children that was that was um you know filmed 32 years ago and they go, they're go, they not social distancing it's okay it's from 1986 you know this this, is, this was okay then
2: okay nick Perfect. Perfect link, which is the, one thing we always we always do on this show. Always, have, is uh, we do talk about <laughs> what we what we have been watching. So you just said about watching nice. film for thirty two years ago with your kids, but yeah, what is that film?
3: Uh,
1: Back to the Future. Is that thirty two years oh, old?
3: Oh look, I was using superatic license, but it's probably very close to it. Very, probably very is. close. Um airplane is the, I mean we're watching Airplane. The airplane must be the best part of 35, 36 years ago as well. Yeah, of course they do. They, they they swear like their grandma used to. I mean they're, they're not it's, it's, You must be very proud. I, I, I two 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 stories, two Jewish stories about swearing. One is that my I always remember my grandma, bless her, who had um, who was living with terrible dementia, but she never was scared to to say how she felt. And we were at the care home, and uh, the rabbi was doing the uh, the, the, the Pesach ceremony. He, he said, "And here's the lamb shank. Who knows what that symbolises? And my grandma just went, don't give a sh- shove it up your f- so she wasn't scared she wasn't that was to the rabbi by the way um, she the other story which was a recent story was um, a they were in effect so she's the grandma of my second cousin she's, she's closely related to my dad and she was a legend she was a legend uh, she was 94 years old and my dad said that the very first time you know he remembers as a child he remembers her, her effing and blinding too anyway the, the, the story he got a phone call saying yeah, really sad she, she, she passed away this morning um, the uh, the, the hospice said that they went into her room last night and uh, and asked you know how she was doing. she said, "I f-ing know I'm dying. Can you all just off now?" And literally two hours later, she was um, she was dead. So I guess my point being, my children are not uh, they, they don't worry too much about about fruity language. I think it's somewhere in the genes. Can I tell you a
2: secret? I love that
0: story.
3: We, on. On. we
2: have a swearing hour in our house. Because I figured that I'd rather get it all out of their systems in a safe place and experiment with it. It's hysterical, though. We've made a few secret recordings, and it is very, very funny. But I think it's brilliant. It's a bit like... It's it's language. It's language,
3: language, Charlie, It's expression. Can can, can I I tell a quick quick anecdote? I'll always remember I I, I hosted um, uh, John Cleese in in a one-man show. And he, he stood on stage and he told this anecdote. It was about 20 minutes into the show. And the punchline of the story was about his mum. And he said, and she did this for 40 years, right? But when he actually told the joke on stage, absolutely deliberately, absolutely consciously, the punchline was, and she did this for 40 years, 10 times funnier because of the you know, the, the mm-hmm. unexpected. Uh, it was the first swear word of the show. It, it sort of scanned better. It had better rhythm. So do I want my children to grow up knowing that there are other parts of language? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, do, do, I love the way you're actually counting out the syllables there, Rebecca. Of course, yeah, um, I'm a musician. You can tell. But, 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 there, but there is something very um, musical about, about language. Yeah. yeah. And, and it comes down to knowing when to use it, but I'm with you, Charlie. I, I, I want them to, I, listen, I, I didn't say the F word until I was, I think 16 back in the day. You know, I said, what for grammar? They didn't do that. Kind yeah, well, of thing. We, Days, that
2: day, experience,
3: love. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> but going back to telly, um, I'm really bad when it comes to talking about telly. I don't watch as much of it as I should. I'm hooked on YouTube. I have these sort of hour-long YouTube sessions where I watch ridiculous stuff on my telly. Um, th- I, th- this week, my favourite one was a great American sports fans. You, you're like this, Leo, and it, predominantly they were college football stadiums where they have ninety, hundred, thousand people, and they all have these incredible rituals pre-match and during match, um, and, and that I loved. But I tell you what, I have watched and I watched it in full and loved every second of it. Uh, Somebody who hates and does not understand basketball in any way, shape or form and literally can't see the point of it. The the, the Netflix Michael Jordan documentary, the name of which has momentarily escaped me, um, was incredible because... I've never seen a better insight into what goes on in the mind of an elite sports person mm. and what goes on in the context of an elite sports team. And unlike the, the Amazon documentaries, the the like the Spurs one they did in the Man City, this had 20 years of, of bedding down. So you had Jordan and Scotty Pippin and, and, and Dennis Rod, Rod, Rodman. Not Rod, Rod, Rodman. Rodman. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, being able to look back. It's just, it's the most beautiful 10 or 11 programmes.
1: It's called The Last Dance,
3: I think. So I've heard amazing dance. things about and, and,
2: that. Just from this conversation, if none of you have watched This Is Us, on Nick, seriously? Is that no, a BBC no, it's on, one? It's on Prime, and it's there's five series. Okay. Just, I, I won't say anything more about it, in, if you haven't okay. watched it. Go and watch it. I cry, which doesn't say a lot, because I cry and everything, but...
3: I'm
2: a a Not in any other walk of life, just when watching adverts and television. So, this This,
3: is us. This
2: is us. You have to yeah. watch
3: it. Have any of you watched the Kaminsky yes. method? Yes, love the Kaminsky method. So my my, my dad recommended it to me because he was a an artist manager for for years, and um and I said I said yeah, what's the appeal? Is there some kind of you know bald fat Jewish guy? And he went, yeah, there's, there's, there's a them. bald fat Jewish guy. <laughs> so, yeah, he, said, he said that. He said he said there were two of them, and he said he said he said they're both fifty percent me. That's my so, dad. So he... <laughs>
2: oh, and we're back to the daddy issues. Leo, have you had something out? Have you seen that documentary or are you watching something else this week?
1: There's a couple of things I've been watching. First of all, not watching, but listening to, which is uh, Bring This Around, is uh, the latest episode of the Illusionist podcast, which is their swearing episode. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a swearing quiz. <laughs> uh, very, very good. Um, if any of you listen to the Illusionist, Helen Zaltman, best line is at, right at the very end. So I'll leave that to there. Watching, I ended up going down that rabbit hole of finding out what the Christmas adverts were this year. I don't know if any of you've watched the Christmas TV adverts out. yet. I can't watch the Christmas uh, TV
2: adverts
3: because
1: they make you cry. Yeah, they are really are crying adverts this year. The McDonald's one I thought was actually very good yeah, if McDonald's you've not good. seen it.
3: What is one and, of you? And, 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 and and also the Tesco's um billboard adverts are very clever yeah, this year. Yeah, and the so Sainsbury's one. The Sainsbury's one they've, is
1: it the, I can't believe how much um airplay There has been people who are complaining about the same Sainsbury's one, even though it's a very good advert.
0: And Rebecca, what about you? Well, I'm going to bring it back to the Jew theme and say it's a film from UK Jewish Film Festival, which I was watching all last week. Matter of size, fantastic comedy about a bunch of big Israeli guys who are going to the Israeli equivalent of Weight Watchers and uh, the woman who heads up the Israeli equivalent of Weight Watchers, as you can imagine, is not the nicest person. And they decide, you know what, we're going to embrace our size. And one of them gets a job washing dishes in a japanese restaurant and all of the japanese waiters are hooked on sumo so he decides he's going to get trained as a sumo wrestler along with all his friends so he so he he asks the owner of the restaurant who is also a trainer for sumo wrestlers and it's kind of like this kung fu panda slash karate kid slash israeli romantic comedy kind of mashup and it was just very charming like and hilarious can I, can I ask
3: a random question can I throw a curveball ask your question Nick <laughs> so uh, total random curveball for you so I, I had a lovely item on um, my show this morning that, that I presented this morning and it was all about uh, Henry VIII and whether Henry VIII was um, was a Jewish sympathiser or a Jewish, Jewish? sympathiser <laughs> oh, no, um, because you know um, Jews hadn't been allowed in the country for 200 years at this point and he started to allow people into his court it's a really interesting piece of history. And and I pre-recorded this interview with a, a lovely guy, a really erudite chap, and the books it's called The the Secret Diaries of, of, of Juan Vives. It's a really good book. So this was pre-recorded actually on, on Friday, obviously before Shovas. But um so as not so as we were as we were recording this i noticed that he referred a lot to jews so you know he would say you know the the jews were banned jews and it was very bizarre because i a hundred percent know a hundred percent know that um he is an entirely um you know Balanced historian, I, I to say I have no doubt as to the, the use of the term is an understatement. This was a brilliant guy, but it was very bizarre because when I came out of the recording and I listened back to it, I actually had a moment where I was asking myself whether the use of the term Jew, it is has in some ways become. Um, I'm not going to say offensive it's the wrong term and then I found myself thinking well no you'll talk about you know Christians you'll talk about Muslims and you'll talk about Jews but but my curveball question for you is are we in a position at the moment where actually we have to be careful how the word is used because it, 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 that, is, it is it growing a connotation or was I being overly uh, was I overthinking it
2: I mean I can't answer whether you're overthinking it but I can certainly speak to having had the same reaction in circumstances as you. I think it's about this present time and our own experience and it's not necessarily about overthinking it, but it's been about our own experience of it and that it's it's shaped and changed and scarred us. And I think Mm. that we are we are looking for things or we are seeing things even when they're not there. And that's not to say that's not that they aren't there because as my dad would say, they always are there. It's just that we've upped our sensitivity and our our senses up.
3: Up. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I was I was um, off the record, seeing someone, because I know my mother will listen to this, She'll and she excited. still firmly believes that, so, yeah, <laughs> well, no, no, I'm seeing someone lovely now, but I, I remember I was seeing someone at the time, and and um, a friend of hers had, had asked a question along the lines of, if, the words were, are you still seeing the Jew? You know, I, I the girl I was seeing was lovely, she said her friend was lovely, but I just remember thinking... Should we even be countenancing using it in that tone, even if it was, you know, banterish, um, you know, b- between friends? And and I do feel that we're in that moment of, of, of just really having to question the usage.
1: So my, my feeling of this is that somewhere in between on that. I think that we have got to a point at times, as Charlie said, that we are oversensitive to the word because it has been used really badly in the past. But then if you sit there and say it becomes a word that you don't speak... That actually makes it even worse in my mind. Yeah. So you have to find a, a narrative where you can actually use the word, and and actually not be afraid of it. And I think also I grew up not too many miles away from where you sounds like you grew up, Nick, um, where it was a rarity that it was used in a nice connotation. Yeah, Do bundles. Um, remember
3: Jew bundles?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I yeah, I I grew up in Harrow, so it's not a million miles away from you. But the the point is, it was used as a really bad. Uh, slur. Terrible. Um, and the only way to re a word or is to use it and use it positively and use it regularly. And so I suppose it does pick in your ears the same way as when you hear your own name or you hear your own football team mentioned, your ears pick up when you hear it. But I think we have to use it and, um, stand proud with the word and And that I think is a problem that we haven't in the past it is about context as well
0: is that what David Bedil has done as I mentioned it earlier you know his Twitter bio is just due Nick where can we find you Uh,
3: BBC Three Counties Radio Uh, all the information probably best on my Twitter at Nick Coffer Um, or if you Google me um, uh, Nick Coffer Uh, although bizarrely you know how Google does autofill if you type Nick Coffer the word that follows it is wife for reasons that I've never fully understood.
0: Okay, interesting. We need to invite you back, I think, and explore that well, a little bit I think bit we further. need to <laughs>
1: invite his ex-wives back. Is probably more of an interesting <laughs> I conversation.
3: I just like that, to- little- yeah. yes, yes. it depends it depends yes, if it's in six
1: months time it may be yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I,
3: well
0: he referred I, I, to henry I, the eighth so maybe henry the eighth is a little bit of a... <laughs> yeah. I, I,
3: I like to believe that it's just lots and lots of people checking whether i'm married
0: yeah, yeah. that I'm is probably it uh, yeah i've already done it actually while we were talking yeah <laughs> and leo where can we find
1: you uh you can find me on twitter as wfc Kigo. uh you can also find me a lot on facebook at the moment because very soon I'll be starting up my weekly program about snowboarding.
0: I can be found on Twitter at R singerman um, I also run Kingston Liberal Synagogue uh, Twitter account, which is at Kingston Lib Shul. Charlie, what about yourself? So
2: I'm also on Facebook under my name, but also with Liberal Judaism, following Leo around on a regular basis. But you can also find me on Twitter, which is Rab Charlie R A B and Charlie is C H A R L E Y. To come back to our beginning of our program, Liberal Judaism is also on Twitter as Liberal Judaism.
0: Right, so i think we're going to wrap up there um thank you so much nick for joining us um and being like a really super guest on our virtual sofa
3: well it's been a great pleasure to lose my job over this and
0: uh... <laughs> it'll be worth it it'll be worth it in the long run i'm sure um and stay tuned uh, for another episode if you liked what you hear please give us a five star rating on itunes
3: and even if you didn't like what you heard give us a five star rating
0: And please uh, subscribe so you'll hear us again soon. Take care. Bye bye.